0: What's up, Buckhead? Y'all doing all right? Y'all good? Yes, awesome. Well, hey, like Trey said, my name is Sammer, and I get to the living room down, uh, or down, up in Kennesaw, over at Kennesaw State, so pumped that I'm here. They're on spring break this week, so uh, have, I can come here and hang out. Anyways, um, I uh, am, I'm about to say I'm engaged. That's not true. I'm married, and me and my wife, um, Julie, we were engaged uh, for almost 13 months. <clears throat> I was told myself growing up when I was in you know, high school, like I knew what I was talking about, and even college, that I was going to have a short engagement, six to nine months. I'm going to get that done quick. I'm going to get married, and we're going to move on. And then me and my uh, now wife were engaged for a little over 12 months. And if I could go back and do it again, I'm not so sure I would do the whole 12-month thing. It was a little long. Okay, it worked out for us. We were in Dallas going to grad school, and we're trying to get married in Atlanta. All our family's here, so there was a little transition time that we needed. So it worked out, Um, but I was never planning on being engaged for that long. But at the time, when we got engaged, we kind of thought, well, you know what? Look, 12 months, that's kind of a long time, but at least it'll give us plenty of time to plan the wedding. It'll be great. We'll be able to get it done like three months before. We'll get to chill before the wedding. Like, we'll get to enjoy being engaged. Like, we'll actually love each other. It'll be awesome. Well, that's not how it worked, right? In fact, having 12 months worked against us. Because in 12 months, you have time to make a decision and then change your mind and then make a decision and then change your mind. And then you get on Pinterest and you change your mind again. Then you get back on Pinterest and you change your mind again. By the way, I think I've told y'all before, I used to think Pinterest was just for girls. It's not. I'm a fan of Pinterest. I've got some boards that are all private. Don't search for it. Um, but, <clears throat> but, but in this day and age on Pinterest, you get on Pinterest and it's like, oh my gosh, I made a decision on these flowers, but look at these, right? And then you have more time to spend money and spend more money. And and it works. It Against you and you make decisions and you go back and make more decisions. You're like, well, I got time. And so we were doing stuff all the way up to just a couple days before the wedding. Majority of that was my fault um, because I wasn't great at the whole getting things done then, which I'll talk about in just a second. But the 12-month thing kind of worked against us. And there were a few bumps in the road along the way. If you've ever planned a wedding, you know that if you haven't, get ready. Um, And one of the things that we ran into was we had issues with our uh, invitation. And that's kind of a big deal, right? Because you you want people to show up to your wedding, right? And so um, we thought, hey, man, it'd be cool if, like, we get, uh, like, a, a, a talented calligrapher or somebody. They can, like, handwrite and, like, design an invitation that's kind of in these days. And then, and then, oh, and then they can handwrite um, the, the envelopes and, like, make them nice and pretty, I guess you would say. And, and, and it would be really cool and artsy and all that. Like, hey, let's get a calligrapher to do it. So she designed this invitation for us. She was really nice. And she was a kind person. <laughs> the invitations, I was like, oh God. Like what, what, like, we can't. I can't. We can't. Right? Like, we're not. We're not. She won't know. She won't know, right? It's all good. We'll just tell her they were great. Thank you. Pay for them, be done. Um, but the problem was we had already given her our envelopes to start addressing names. I'm thinking, Lord, envelopes are expensive too. We ain't talking those like white ones you get at Office Max, you know what I'm saying? So we we get the envelopes back. I'm like, Lord, just Let it be better than what we got with the invitations, and the god did not come through. Um, They, they were they were bad, man. Like I couldn't even read them right. Like people that I knew, I couldn't even read the last name. And again, bless said calligrapher's heart. Um, She was awesome and very kind person. But so I had to call her, like any great fiance did. I bit the bullet, and I had to be like, hey, listen. We can't pay you for this because we got to buy new envelopes. That's an awkward conversation one. It did that. That was weird. It lingered way longer. She had some questions. I didn't really know how to answer them. It just didn't look good. What else can I say? Um, And so then what I did, like a great fiancé, point number two, I went to Michael's and I bought a calligraphy set. I'm a dude. I got, I'm a dude. We're not supposed to be able to do that stuff. But, but, but I've got great handwriting for a dude. Ask anyone that, I, that knows me, they'll tell you. I'll brag about it. I don't care. I've got pretty good handwriting. So I thought calligraphy. How hard could it be? So I gave it a shot. I practiced for like seven days every day after work. I sat down and I was practicing and practicing and practicing. And then it took me almost eight or nine days to address all of our envelopes. I wanted to kill someone. I wanted to strangle a cat. I don't, I don't like cats. I just want, I couldn't handle, I don't like cats. That was mean, but I'm not, animal cruelty Mike Vick um but but um too soon <laughs> too soon maybe not that was an impromptu joke but but it was it was it was awful and and I did it because I love my wife and I'm not about to like open an Etsy shop right and be all calligraphy and stuff so that was a crazy debacle if I could go back man I just would have bought them on some website, you know, and had them do the whole thing. Uh, and then me and Julie, we ran into some issues because um, her timeline was never like my timeline. Uh, her timeline was always sooner and mine was always later, right? So she'd ask me to do something. I'd say, yeah, I got that, babe. And she'd come to me the next day and be like, Did you do it? I'm like, You asked me yesterday, like, I'm still processing what you asked me to do. (laughs) You know what I mean? And she'd be like, well, why don't you just get it done now? And I'm like, why don't I get it done later? We got 12 months, you know? And so there was always that that back and forth, the bumps in the road. You know, it was great that we got married. Um, But there was about, on a serious note, there was about a five or six month stint in that engagement time where all that we were doing and and all the wedding planning really started to get to me personally. Um, I started to feel really physically tired. And so I'm like, okay, well, I need to get to bed earlier. I need to start eating healthier. And I I read some stuff about taking like a power nap in the middle of the afternoon. So then I'm going to take a power nap and that'll help re-energize me. You know, I have an extra cup of coffee, whatever. Well, I started doing that, but I was still feeling tired. It wasn't really going away. And then I started realizing about myself that I wasn't being myself, especially around the people that I loved. I started lashing out. Um, at stuff that wasn't that big of a deal. I get frustrated about things that didn't normally bother me. I'd lash out at Julie for something stupid. I'd lash out at my mom, and if you knew how sweet my mom was, you'd think I was the devil for lashing out at her, right? Just, I was getting angry about things that I normally wouldn't get angry about, and things were bothering me, and I was just blowing things out of proportion. It was just really, really weird, because I'm not usually a mean person, right? Unless you cut me off on 75, but so it was just, it was really weird And then I started noticing that stress was really taking kind of my mind over. It got to a point where I'm a really high capacity guy. Like I can kind of put a lot on my plate and I can handle a lot of things at one time. But I was so stressed about all that was going on, trying to find a new apartment, all the wedding stuff, all the finances. I had just started my new job at the living room that I would wake up in the middle of the night having stress attacks. I've never had that before. It was the weirdest thing, right? It's like, it was my mind. I literally could not turn my brain off. I would wake up breathing heavy, thinking about all the things that I needed to do. And it was affecting the way that I you know, acted during the day. I was beginning to get really forgetful. I started to, I, no one really knew this because I wasn't going around talking about that I wasn't really good at my job, but I felt like I wasn't doing a great job at my job because it would take me two or three times as long to write a message. I couldn't really get my thoughts down on paper. I mean, it was just a really, really weird time and i realized soon after that whole thing kind of went down was that what i was experiencing was a type of fatigue that went far beyond anything physical all that i was experiencing wasn't going to be fixed with a cup of coffee or a power nap or a relaxing afternoon on the golf course if that's even possible if you shoot like me but what i was experiencing was a type of fatigue that was far more than anything physical. I was on the struggle bus big time, right? And some of you are like, man, I feel you on that, right? Some of you guys are like, man, I spend more time on the struggle bus than I do in my own car. You know what I mean? Or you're like, ride the struggle bus, homie. I drive it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> come on, what's up? Um, and, you, and, and you feel me on that, right? And, and here's what's so interesting when you're on the struggle bus. Clearly, we're kicking off a new series tonight called Struggle Bus. When you're on the struggle bus, something's out of whack. Right? It's just things aren't going the way that you want them to go. You're not feeling right. Life's a little out of rhythm, and you can't really put your finger on it, right? And, and no matter what you do, you kind of can't seem to get off the struggle bus. You kind of are strapped in, right? When you're on the struggle bus, you can't really figure out what it is exactly, but your whole life is kind of defined by that one guy who can't glap on beat. Do you know what I mean? Like, trust it all. You know, it's like that. <laughs> Bro, I know it's about God, but stop. You know, it's like one of those. And your whole life is kind of defined by that. You're just out of rhythm, and it's just not there. It's out of whack, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. You're on the struggle bus, and it's a type of fatigue. It's a type of weariness that is far beyond anything just physical. And what I was experiencing during that season of my engagement, um, it wasn't just that I needed sleep or coffee. You know, what I was experiencing, what needed rest wasn't just my body, no, no, it was way bigger than that. What needed rest was my soul. What needed rest was my soul. My soul was tired. Now, before you kind of write me off and think, yeah, okay, soul, whatever, that's not even, you know, before you write me off and think, how in the world can your soul get tired? There's actually been a scientific study done by this Florida State professor, he's a psychologist, named Dr. Roy Baumeister. What a name. Dr. Roy Baumeister, real person. Go look him up. And he did this study, and he did a study on a type of fatigue that was far beyond anything just physical. And it affected more places and, and, and areas of your life than just the physical realm of your life. And he, did, and he called it ego depletion. He called it ego depletion. And ego depletion, he said, was a type of depletion. It was a type of fatigue. It was a type of tiredness that went far beyond just the physical Realm. And he studied what people did and how they acted in an ego-depleted state. And these were some of his findings. Now, again, this wasn't me, I'm not just making this stuff. This was scientific research and study done by this Florida State Professor. And this is what he found, and this is what he discovered. He said that people living in this depleted condition report more tiredness. That's pretty obvious. But they also report a lot more negative emotion. So we're seeing it. it's it's more than just physical. He goes on, depleted people who watch a sad movie become extra sad. So all of a sudden, Nicholas Sparks is way more brilliant than before, right? <laughs> when facing temptation, depleted people are more likely to give in. That's fascinating. That, that when you're running on a depleted state, you're much more likely to give in to a temptation that you probably wouldn't when you're in your normal state. This is crazy. When faced faced with challenges like an especially difficult assignment at work or at school, depleted people are more likely to fail or turn in lower quality work. It's a type of fatigue, a struggle that goes beyond just the physical. This is crazy. The brain area that's crucial for self-control, the anterior cingulate cortex. I don't know why I'm pointing my head. I don't know where that is. I don't don't know where that is. It's not here. But... (laughs) The brain area that's crucial for self-control actually experiences a slowdown in depleted people, and as a result, they have less self-control and might do things they wouldn't normally do in their normal state. It's fascinating, far beyond anything physical. <clears throat> and lastly, depleted people have less satisfying relationships, and married couples who are both depleted bicker and fight about trivial things that they would admit aren't that big of a deal. And so Dr. Roy Baumeister did this study and he, he, this idea of ego depletion, there's a type of fatigue, there's a type of struggle that goes far beyond anything just physical. And that's what it's like when you find yourself on the struggle bus. It's, it's not just physical, it's a fatigue, a tiredness of your soul. And a very simple way to kind of break down what the soul is, a soul, your soul is the combination of your, of your body, your mind, and your will. Your body, your mind, and your will. And your body grows tired, right? I mean, you stay up all night and you're studying for a final that's coming up and you get up the next day after not having a lot of sleep, you get tired. Or you're up all night working on a project and you use coffee and Red Bull to get you through the day. Your body's going to get tired. Or maybe you play every intramural sport under the sun to try to relive high school glory days. Your body, I did, your body will get tired. Our bodies grow tired. And your mind. I mean, you think about all the information you're inundated with every single day, all the notes you gotta take, all the PowerPoint presentations you gotta sit through, all the books you gotta read, all the tests you gotta study for. You gotta, um, you've gotta, you've got all these projects to get done. You've got multiple screens that you're looking at between your phone, your TV, and your computer and your iPad. You're inundated with all the things. You've got more to-do lists and mental checklists than you even know what to do with. Navigating relationships, your mind grows tired. And your will grows tired. You probably don't think about this, but think about how many decisions you make every single day. It's draining to make decisions. It really is. It's draining to make decisions over and over and over and over and over again. Every single day, you're having to decide, what am I going to do with with this block of time? How much am I going to study for this exam? How much am I going to study for that? Where am I going to eat? What am I going to get at Starbucks? What movie am I going to see? What what major am I going to pick? What class am I going to take? Can I get an amen? That class registration is awful, and it is so stressful. Yeah, you can say amen about that. It's crazy, right? But as you're doing that, some of y'all get done with registration, and you're like, Lord, have mercy. You know, you're like, I'm depleted, man. I want to be on the ambulance struggle bus. Like, that's just how I feel. But your will grows tired. Our bodies grow tired. Our mind grows tired. Our will grows tired. And the culmination of all of that is a tired soul or a seat on the struggle bus. Now, the, the, the interesting thing is you don't have to be Planning a wedding to feel this, right? I mean, y'all get it. You're in college. Life is crazy. And you've got a million different things coming at you. All these different things that you're running to. All these things grabbing your attention. Um, but but the, the interesting thing is, it's, necess- it's kind of hard to gauge this whole thing, right? Because anybody, anybody who is busy, is in danger of soul fatigue. Anybody who is busy is in danger of soul fatigue. We're all busy. You're college students. You're busy. Busyness is not a bad thing, right? If you are alive, you ought to be busy. If you're not busy, there's something, something's not right. You got to be a little busy. If you have a full schedule, you're busy. If you have classes to take, you're busy. If you're studying for a test, you're busy. If you're in a relationship, you're busy, right? Like busyness is not a bad thing. And I read a book uh, by a guy named John Ortberg called Soul Keeping. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. And it kind of inspired this whole struggle bus idea for me. Um, But what he talks about is busyness. He says that busyness is a normal thing. It's a good thing. And it's an outward condition. Busyness is an outward condition. And when you're busy, you can take a break from your business. You're studying for your test. You can take a break and go on a Netflix binge, right? You can, um, you're you're, you're doing this or whatever. You can go work out. You're laughing because like I did a Netflix binge. And so, but, but busyness, you can take a break from all that you're doing. It's an outward condition. But busyness, when it goes unchecked, When busyness goes unchecked, it quickly morphs into something a little bit more dangerous and a little bit more detrimental. And when busyness goes unchecked, all of a sudden, the things that are actually important get put on the back burner and your life gets filled up with the things that seem most urgent. That, that when, when your life becomes so inundated with, with the busyness of life, relationships in that matter get put on the back burner. More often times than not, anything with faith or God kind of gets put on the back burner because God's not going anywhere, but this test is coming up. And when busyness comes in, it crowds out what's important, fills up with the urgent, and all of a sudden busyness morphs into hurriedness. And hurriedness is the enemy. That when you're living life constantly in a hurry, you're never present in any conversation. You're always preoccupied. You can never be intentional in any moment because you're always thinking about the next moment. You can never live in any moment because you're always thinking about the next moment. That's when you're spiritually, mentally, and emotionally drained. And I would say it this way, that when your unchecked busyness morphs into uncontrollable hurriedness, your soul grows tired. When unchecked busyness morphs into uncontrollable hurriedness, your soul grows tired, your body, your mind, and your will, and you're strapped into the struggle bus trying to figure out how to get off, and it's hard to gauge right? Like if you run a marathon, you're going to get tired. That's pretty easy to gauge, right? You go shopping with your girlfriend, you're going to get tired. You can feel that, right? You kind of, you can gauge that. When you're in the car and, and you've got a, that gas meter, if you're old school or maybe you're fancy and you have like the number it tells you how many miles you have until empty and you try to get that thing to zero and keep driving, you live on the edge, right? That thing is very clear and it gauges how full and empty your tank is. But as it relates to your soul, it's not that it's not as easy to gauge. It's a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit more tricky. Um, and so I want to just give you a, a couple indicators on what you can probably expect if your soul is tired. Your soul might be tired if things seem to bother you more than they probably should. You might be in a state of hurriedness if that's true of you. Your soul might be tired if it's hard to make up your mind even about really simple decisions. Your soul might be tired, you might be on the struggle bus, um, if impulses and cravings and temptations are harder to resist than normal. Your soul might be tired um, if you are more likely to favor short-term gain that will leave you with long-term consequences. Your soul might be tired if your judgment is suffering. And you're making decisions, you're not always looking back thinking, what in the world was I thinking? Your soul might be tired, this is interesting, if you have less courage and find yourself shrinking back more than usual. then lastly, your soul might be tired if you find yourself having a hard time connecting with God or feel like you're going through a spiritual dry spell. If any or all of that is true, your soul might be tired. Busyness morphs into hurriedness and your soul grows tired. So what do we do? Well, Jesus talked about this issue exactly. He talked about the fatigue of the soul because I think Jesus understood the tendency of humanity. He understood that the tendency would always be that busyness would crowd out what's most important and we would get into a hurry and, 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 and our fatigue, the mind, the body and the will would all grow tired and our soul would grow tired. And so Jesus gives us an invitation and he gives us a way to take a step off of the struggle Bust. And we're going to look at that in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, he's speaking to some Jews and that's really important context. I'll tell you why in just a second, but this is what he says. And this is a really famous passage. A lot of you have probably heard this before. This is what he says in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, invitation number one, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He's looking at these Jews and, and right now he looks at you and, and me and he says, hey, come to me, come to me. All of you who are weary, all of you are weary from work, you're weary from toiling, you're weary of all the homework that you have to do, you're weary of school, you're weary of your part-time job that you want to quit, but you just can't. All of you who are weary, maybe you're weary from kind of life's difficulties, life throws you a curveball, you're having to deal with something, you're having to work through something with your family and relationship, and you're weary And Jesus. He says, hey, all of you who are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, all of you who are burdened, All of you are burdened. We're going to talk in just a second what the Jews would have been burdened with. But all of you are burdened. Maybe you're carrying something around. Maybe you're struggling with some kind of sin that you just can't seem to shake, and you're burdened. Maybe you're burdened with the difficult circumstance that you're trying to work through. Maybe you're burdened with guilt and shame because of something you've struggled with, and you kind of almost feel like you can't approach God about it. Maybe you're burdened with some kind of insecurity. You're burdened with trying to measure up to somebody. Maybe you're trying to measure up to God, and you kind of feel like you keep failing. You know what it's like to try to measure up and try To get approved from someone, it feels like a burden. Jesus says, All of you who are weary and burdened, whatever that is, come to me and I will give you rest. That weary and and, and burden, Jesus isn't talking about go taking a nap. It's way more than just physical, it's a condition of the soul. And that word rest is directly linked to the idea of restoration. Restoration, And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, all of you who are in this depleted state, come to me and I will restore you. All of you who are on the struggle bus, you're depleted. Come to me and I will restore you. I will fill you up. I will give you your rhythm back. I know it's kind of going kind to of come across a bit of a cheesy analogy, but like a tree and its roots were meant to rest and get all that it needs from the soil that it is in. Our soul was meant to rest in Jesus and get all that we need from him. So he says, come to me. Let me restore you. Let me fill you up. Let me give you your rhythm back. And he goes on. What exactly does that look like? He says this in Matthew eleven twenty nine. So he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He says, "Take my yoke upon you." Now, there's two images. There's two images that um, that Jesus would have elicited to this Jewish audience with the word yoke, and the first one is the law. The law, right? So a good Jew would have done everything they could to keep the law of God. It was six hundred and thirteen commandments, um, and and to be a good Jew in the Old Testament and leading up to the time of Jesus, what you had to do was you had to keep the law. And often rabbis, what they would say, they would call, um, they would talk about the yoke of the law, because the law, it was a very heavy burden to try to keep all six hundred and thirteen commandments. In fact, it was impossible to keep all of these commandments. You want to talk about never being able to measure up? A Jew never felt like they were able to measure up to God's standard, because it was to keep six hundred and thirteen commandments. Imagine that. And Jesus, again, they weren't able to see this, but in hindsight, we can see what he's doing here. He's looking at these Jews and he's saying, hey, listen, you're trying to live a life that is good enough for God. You're trying to live a life that is good enough to keep all these laws, but you have no idea. I came here to be perfect and to live perfectly and to die on the cross so that you don't have to. And Jesus, we can see this in hindsight, but he's looking at them. And for us, we can take this, that Jesus is saying, listen, you are not under the law anymore. You're about to be under grace, I came to fulfill the law. I came to be perfect. I came, there's 613. I came to keep 620 because I'm that good, is what Jesus is saying. And you don't have to because I did. That's why in Romans, Paul says, We're not under the law, we're under grace. Jesus says, Look, take my yoke. My yoke is not the law, my yoke is grace. My yoke is the permission to be imperfect and look more like me with every step. And it's okay that it's a process. And he looks at you and he says the same thing. Don't take the yoke of the law. Don't try to measure up to anybody. Take the yoke of grace that says, I measured up for you. And the second image that Jesus would have elicited with this idea of the yoke is a physical yoke. This is what a physical yoke is. It's not a torture device. Um, what, What this was used for in farming so typically what would happen is they would have to till the ground, right? Get it ready for them to put seeds in the ground to, to grow crop. And so what they would do is they would link up two oxen to this yoke, one on each side, and there would be a metal pole with like a sharp contraption behind it. And it would till the ground. Now, what they would do is they would have two oxen, and they would have one, and you can kind of see it in this picture, one bigger, stronger, more experienced oxen on one end, and they would yoke it to a smaller, weaker, less experienced oxen. Typically that smaller weaker less experienced oxen he or she would try to immediately plow through and go really really fast and try to get it done quick but at an unsustainable pace they wouldn't be able to get the job done and so the bigger stronger more experienced oxen would set a sustainable pace for the smaller weaker less experienced oxen so the job could get done and in moments when the smaller weaker less experienced oxen wasn't strong enough to carry on the bigger stronger more experienced oxen, would be able to carry the weight and keep things moving. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to be the bigger, stronger, more experienced oxen, and you, weaker, smaller, less experienced oxen, be yoked to me. Come learn from me. Come walk with me. Come watch what I do. Come follow me. Come join in on a relationship with me. Come spend time with me. Come get to know what I am about. Let me set the rhythm. Let me set the pace. Let me be your strength when you don't have any. He says, take my yoke and walk with me. This passage, one of of my, a very cool translation of this passage is in a a version of the Bible called the message. Now the message, if you've never read it, it's it's a really cool version of the Bible. It's basically a paraphrase It uses modern-day language to translate the Bible. And a guy named Eugene Peterson, brilliant, um, he kind of made this happen. And this particular passage is so cool in the message. And I just want to read it to you. And this is what it says. It's the same passage, but in a paraphrase in modern-day language. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. My favorite part of this passage is the walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus says, listen, don't put on you the yoke of the law. Take the yoke of grace, my death on the cross and resurrection for you to live freely and follow God. Grace, a rhythm of grace that we get to have a relationship with Jesus that saves us, not only in the life to come, but frees us to live a life to the full on this side of heaven. A rhythm of grace a rhythm of grace. And a rhythm, the definition of a rhythm is a strong, constant, recurring motion or movement. A strong, recurring, constant uh, motion or movement. In your life, in my life, we were designed to have rhythm. We were designed to live in some kind of rhythm. You can be the most disorganized person in the world, you cannot clap on beat to save your life, and you still have a type of rhythm to your life. And let me prove that to you. One of the most common torture techniques for a prisoner of war is not to hurt them physically. Now, one of the most common torture techniques for a prisoner of war is to rob them of any kind of rhythm. To rob them of knowledge of whether or not it's night or day, to rob them of whether or not they are up or down, to rob them of what the knowledge of what time it is, to rob them of knowledge of whether or not it's time for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, to rob them of knowledge of where they are or what they're supposed to be doing. And as you rob them of any kind of rhythm, they literally go crazy in a way that physically torturing them never would. Why? Because we were designed for rhythm, for something that's constant, for something that we can count on, for something that we know is always going to be there. And Jesus says, I want to be that constant. I want to set your rhythm. I want to give you your rhythm back. I want to be your rhythm, Jesus says. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and he will be forever. And Jesus looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. And that's the invitation of Jesus. And here's what's true, is that your soul is at its best. When you come to Jesus for rest, your soul, the culmination of who you are, is at its best. And it's in its most full and healthy state when you come to Jesus for rest. And there's some of you in the room tonight where coming to Jesus literally means maybe for the first time ever taking a step towards Jesus. For some of you, it means in the room tonight, maybe for the first time putting your faith in the Savior of the world that died for you and rose from the grave. That maybe for some of you tonight, if you're kind of, something's kind of stirring in your heart, something is going on, maybe, maybe that is God doing something. And maybe for you, coming to Jesus is putting your faith in him for the first time. And if that's you, I would encourage you and maybe even beg you to talk to somebody here tonight before you leave. And there's other of you in the room tonight, probably the vast majority of you who would consider yourselves to be Jesus followers. You know what coming to Jesus means? He's invited you to come and this is what coming to Jesus means. It means give him your time. Give him your attention. Get to know who Jesus is. Remind, and remember yourse- remind yourself and remember who Jesus is and what he did and why that matters. Get away from everything that distracts you and rest and remember who Jesus is. In a way that I want to challenge you to do that is what I'm going to call the five-minute challenge. Here's what I want you to do. Every day for the next week, I just want 35 minutes of your next week total. That's it. I don't even know how many minutes are in a week, but it's way more than that. Five minutes a day for the next seven days. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to unplug Put your phone away, put your computer away, put the TV away, put the homework away. And I want you to sit in silence. I want it to be just you and God. I want you to sit there for five minutes and I just want you to reflect. Maybe it's pray. Maybe you have your Bible. Maybe if you like to journal, maybe you write a few things down. But I just want you to sit still in solitude and remember who Jesus is. I want you to remember and remind yourself that it doesn't matter what happens on finals. Your approval doesn't come from what a grade says. It comes from a heavenly father who sent Jesus for you. I want you to sit and I want you to remember and remind yourself that even if you don't have any hope and you don't feel like there's anything happening that you don't feel very helpful, Jesus wants to give you hope. I want you to sit and remember and remind yourself, no matter what struggle you're going through or what sin you've committed or what your past looks like, Jesus isn't concerned for that because His sin covered it all. I want you to sit and remember and remind yourself that whatever insecurity you're struggling with, God looks down at you and considers you a son and a daughter. I want you to sit for five minutes and just remember and remind yourself who Jesus is and allow that to give rest to your soul, to replenish you, to refil- refill you, to spend time with Jesus. For just five- and let me just warn you, it's going to feel like an eternity. You can get back, my, f- my phone's got to be broken. It's got him in five minutes. But that just shows you how bad we are at slowing down and stopping and remembering why Jesus is such a big deal. Because your soul is at its best when you come to Jesus for rest. And the first step off of the struggle bus is a step towards Jesus. So forget the busyness and the hurriedness come to Jesus. So we're going to practice the five-minute challenge right now. No music is about to get played. Nothing is going to happen. Might be awkward. Doesn't have to be. You're literally, we're going to sit here. We might not even do the full five, just for a few minutes. You're just going to sit here, and I just want you to remember who Jesus is. If you're not a follower of Jesus, just think about what in the world we're talking about and see what happens. Rest in Jesus, who Jesus is, and allow him to give you fullness. Five minutes a day for the next seven days. Just rest in who Jesus is. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that um, you didn't leave us stranded here on earth with this massive sin problem, but um, you sent your son to fix it. And you sent your son to be good enough and you sent your son to be strong enough and you sent your son to be faithful enough and you sent your son to be constant enough and you sent your son to be big enough. And I pray, Lord, that we would yoke ourselves to the son who is big enough, strong enough, faithful enough and loving enough. Soul fatigue wouldn't be a normal thing for the people in this room but that we would allow Jesus to fill us up, that we would remember who Jesus is, we would be reminded of what he did and see how everything he did and all that he was puts everything in perspective, that he's our strength when we're weak, that he's our faith when we don't really have much, that he's our guidance when we feel lost, that he is our hope when life just seems to be void of any. We love you, and I ask specifically that you would teach students in this room and myself what it means and what it looks like, what it feels like, to have enough faith to rest in what we know about Jesus, the Son of God. It's in his matchless name we pray. Amen.